You're listening to Talking Taiwan with your host, Felicia Lin. On this episode of Talking Taiwan, I'm welcoming back Peter Yang Zhao and Stephen Lee to continue talking about the topic of Asian hate, picking up after part one, episode 125. Both have been active in fighting crimes against Asians and have lost a share on the topic of Asian hate. Peter Yang Zhao is an anti-Asian hate crime activist and Tourette syndrome activist. Sergeant Stephen Lee is a 16-year veteran of the NYPD, a whistleblower fighting to reform police corruption and anti-Asian hate crime activist. In 2020, he ran for state assembly in District 40. Here's our interview. Peter, I think everybody is in suspense. We'd like to hear more about um, what happened with your wife um, at the school in Flushing, the story that you're telling in the first episode. So she got sucker punched uh, with with an object. This other person, was, I think she was holding a phone. You know, So she cracked my, my wife so hard that uh, she had blood just pouring down. You know, So uh, you know, I had a dash cam video which recorded uh, my wife actually making a 911 call Wow. Right, and w- while meanwhile she was bleeding from her head, mm-hmm. and uh, around at the same time, and you know we, this this woman was also uh, talking on the phone as well in her car because like after she she saw blood pouring down, you know my wife said she, that the assailant visibly looked looked like she's gonna, she's gonna panic. I guess she mm-hmm. I guess she now realized she's in she's in deep shit, you know. Yeah. So, so when when the cop when the cop showed up finally, and uh, my wife said that the cop was taking stories. So my wife told him, even on a nine one one call, she told him that she was she got attacked by, by this lady. And when the cop showed up, she spoke to the cop uh, about this whole incident, uh, how how it started, and she specifically told the cop that she was called a a, a diseased Chinese bitch. And she specifically said that uh, she, she got sucker punched and she was bleeding from her head. And um, the cop uh, also took some evidence from this. I guess he spoke to some people on the street. Meanwhile, the cop also spoke to the assailant. And somehow my wife got cuffed too. She got she got cuffed and, and, and put in an ambulance with handcuffs on. And my wife doesn't know why she's getting cuffed because she's, she was the one being attacked. Right. She never even she never even got a chance to lay a finger on the lady, but that uh-huh. lady somehow somehow re- turned the story around. Said that she got a little cut on her finger, uh, just because of this. Right? The cops, I guess, you know, from what I later on, what I learned is that, you know, the cop could have done their done a better job at the scene, speak speak to more people on on the street, talk to the victim victim better, and also the victim had evidence like a dash cam they, they could have just reviewed the cam right away and realized you know this is this wasn't a fight between two parents you know this is a straight up a this is straight up attack started as a road rage this lady came out of the car at the traffic light and knock on a window to complain curse my wife out and I later on sucker punch him at the traffic light stopping traffic you know so this this person is causing all this problem, but this damn cop, they just took the took the stories off of the assailant. I guess they made this into a, a fight between two people, and I hate I hate to say this, man, 
the cop who showed up, you know, the, I, my wife told me it was two Hispanic cop. So we mm-hmm. really think there's some kind of a connection going on. Look, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't like, I don't like this whole scenario where, where people of color are pitted against people of color. We have to fight each mm-hmm. other. I believe the sole cause of, of all this anti-Asian crime there is rooted from white supremacy and systematic racism. And, and, you know, people of color in this country have always been pitted against each other to, to fight each mm-hmm, other. Mm-hmm. But whenever we talk about this, you know, it becomes so sensitive. I can't talk about the other group. It, it makes us make it seem like I'm, a, I'm against them. Right. But if I don't talk about this group, some people feel like, yo, I should say more. Right. It's, it's, it's a really, really messed up situation. So she was taken to the hospital. You know, she had chains on her feet, cuffs on her hand. You know, like nurses in, 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 in the hospital, they don't even, they even ask her, why are you, mm-hmm. why are you in, in chains, you know, when, mm-hmm. you, when you were the victim? So when she was getting stitched up, the cops refused to take off the cuffs for her. So, you know, so, so after they, they got, you know, so because of the bail reform that was happening, right? So they weren't keeping people overnight and wait for another judge to come out. So basically the cop, were doing all the paperwork and basically created something called a desk appearance. So they will show up at the court later. So without actually being transferred to like central booking and stay overnight, that's how it was done before the bell reform. Now with the bell reform, they're skipping the process. So, oh, so that's so a the, good thing. So your wife didn't have to go to, she didn't have overnight. to go, but however, mm-hmm. but however the cops also, put the blame on the bell reform. Right. So basically oh. my wife asked him, why you have to cuff me for? Why, yeah. why, why can't you do a better job? Mm-hmm. And the cop response was that, Oh, look, I'm sorry. We're, we're too overwhelmed by the bell reform. Right. So they basically saying that the, because the, the, the job of the court officers doing the paperwork now is on the hands of the street cops. So they overwhelmed, you know? So they basically saying that even though they basically trying to say, okay, we arrested your wife, because we messed up because we don't we don't have enough people or manpower so they blame me on the system meanwhile they don't explain why you know my wife was was arrested steve before we talk about peter's wife's situation could you share with my listeners what your connection to taiwan is my connection to taiwan is pretty simple it's you know my parents were born in shanghai and then during the war they moved to taiwan um my grandfather first moved to um, Taizong, and then because he had an uh, import-export business in Shanghai, and the government took it over during the war, and then him and his partners went to uh, Taizong, and then they moved to um, Taipei after, and they started import-export business in Taipei, and um, that's when my whole family moved to Taipei, and. Um, and I forgot the, the name of the little street in, in, in Taipei where they moved, but it's like a, one of those private communities. It's supposed to be like pretty like, um, like, uh, like one of those pretty good or pretty expensive communities. It's supposed to be like, but whatever the case is, um, yeah, so they moved to Taipei. Um, my uncle was the first one here to New York. They started an international furniture store. Um, it's the one in Chinatown, and they have one Eighth Avenue, and they have one on Main Street, um, Longpa, right? And 
he then brought everybody over here from Taiwan, and I was born here when they when they came here in 1978. Oh, great! I think he actually came here in 1974. Oh, okay. Nice to yeah, know about when, that. When my brother was born. Oh, okay. Nice to yeah. know about that connection. Could you explain what bail reform is and how it applies to Peter's wife's situation? Bail reform basically is for helping people who can't afford bail to have the same rights as people who can afford bail. Um, that's my understanding of it. But, you know, it was written um, with flaws. I don't think the bail reform is a valid excuse for Peter's wife's situation. The bail reform was written basically to give people who uh, cannot afford bail to be able to have the same rights as people who can afford bail. But it was written with flaws and, you know, it caused uh, a lot of repeat offenders to uh, be released without bail. This is the complaint of, you know, officers where, like, they're grieving because they're like, oh, it was like catch and release, um, do all this hard work to get them off the streets, and, you know, the court system just lets them out. So what's the point of doing all this hard work, right? That's that's their excuse. I um, I personally think it's an invalid excuse um, because one, yeah, you're uh, removing them off the street, but what are you doing to prevent them to further creating crime? Uh, you know, committing crimes like get them some help. You know, maybe they have they're in a situation where they have no choice but to commit crimes, right? And then they won't be a f- repeat offenders, and you wouldn't have to pick them up again, right? So there's so many so many solutions to their grieve, grieving, right? But it's just low morale, and it was uh, mostly like Trump and like the Republicans, the right side pushing it um, that it's the cause of all this crime and stuff like that, and you know. Um, Granted, yeah, people who we arrest repeat offenders, but, you know, um, it just shows that the system is broken, right? Because if we had a, a, a valid system, it would get people help after they've been arrested and, you know, prevent them or help them be in a better situation where they don't have to commit for the crime. When they created the bail reform, it was so that, like I said, uh, People who can't afford bail could, uh, you know, um, have the same equal opportunity as people that can afford bail. Um, but there is a system in place already, also in a court system, where you know the process is you get picked up by the police officers. The police officers, you know, take your fingerprints and everything, and run up to Albany and you know check your record and all that stuff. And then, uh, if necessary, you go down to Central Booking. Um, down in Central Booking, they take your picture again. They take your fingerprints again. They check, you know, they scan your iris. Um, and then, you know, you get put into another cell. And then civilians come and interview you. They put CJB. Um, no, sorry, it's CJA, right? So they come and they interview you. And they ask you questions like, do you have a job? Um, how much money do you make? Uh, do you have any family members that come and you know be in court with you when you're being arraigned? Um, do you, are you married? Do you have children, dependents, so forth and so on? And they send that information up to the judge, 
Right. So then when when you're being then you move to another cell where correction officers take over and you're being held until the judge sees you. When the judge is ready to see you, they send a list of names and then um, NYPD officers will then grab the custody back from corrections and then put you in a waiting uh, cell area and <clears throat> you get interviewed by public defender or your lawyer. You tell them the situation, what happened, they interview you, okay, they get your story and then they call you out. When they call you out, they take your iris scan again and you know they make sure that you're the correct person and then you go in front of the judge with the public defender. Um, you state your case if necessary um, and the judge has to post ba- uh, put a bail on you, they will. he will look at the record from CJA and see if you're afford, uh, able to afford bail to make it reasonable, right? So if you can't really afford bail and it, he feels like it's a, um, a case where you're not a flight risk or it's not a, a serious case, he will post $1 bail. It's a... Uh, significant numbers it's a symbolic number right it's just one dollars because he has to put bail on you so he put one dollar so you could afford it right and so that you could be released and you know that was the process of it so that process was working um in my opinion i thought it was it was working okay right um then again i never been through that process i'm not in a situation where uh I wouldn't be able to afford one dollar bail, or you know, I'm not a. Uh, I never committed any crimes where it was like I couldn't afford any bails or were locked up in a situation and stuff like that. So I can't really speak for people that have, right? But from my opinion, at the t- at the time, I thought that that system was working, right? Granted, you know, why even put that one dollar significant bail? You know. Um, yeah, it, it was puzzling to me too, right? Say, so why even put the one dollar bill? Why don't you just let him go? What's the point of putting one dollar bill, mm. right? So the bill reform to me was, a, oh, you know, the the idea of it was good, right? But it gave a lot of it ties a lot of judges' hands because if they felt like this person is a danger to society, they didn't have the discretion to put a bail or, or hold them, so they had to release them. And that was the thing that police officers were saying, where it's like, oh, blame the bail reform because, you know, this guy is a violent criminal or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're still released because they have no choice because of bail reform. But they fixed it since then, where now the judges have discretion. Okay. After she came back, thankfully, I had my own network of people online. I know a bunch of people. So I I decided to reach out online and talk to people. And um, very quickly... I had a little meeting with Flushing Chipper Cumbers at the time, you know, it was like Chung Cho. Um, they set me down and they, they felt really bad about this whole situation. And they gave me basically two options, right? One option is, which they feel is the most prominent option, is that uh, we should talk to the reporters and talk about all this. We should set up a rally and do a big protest. And so we make it big enough so we can attract other politicians Maybe Rung Kim, Ray Small, Jung Liu, who knows? But then it sounds I, like a lot of qu- work. It is a lot of work. Also, look, but I, I'm a I'm an extrovert. I like to I like to expose myself. I like the attention. But my wife don't like the attention. My wife mm-hmm. is more of she's an introvert. She's more private. Also, she's hurt, shaking, and shocked. You know, the last thing 
she wanted to do as a victim is to expose herself. And also, you know, people these days online, you know, they, they write all kind of crazy stuff. Even though you're the victim, they still turn the story around trying to victimize, uh, you know, trying to victimize the assailant, try to say something else, you know. The victim, the real victim don't need this, this drama right now. So I, I, we particularly don't like option one. So option two was basically to reach out to local uh, legal aid groups. So in this case, uh, we approached uh, AADELF, you know, uh, Asian American De- Defense Education League Fund. Uh, you know, the, this, this organization has been around for years. People have seen them on news helping the community. So we said, okay, let's go with this other route. Meanwhile, I can see from uh, Chamber of Commerce, I can see from their attitude, they really want this rally to happen. But I also get the sense that, you know, uh, 2021, 2022 is coming. We got a city council election. We got another re-election for, for assembly, also for the governor. So I know people want, they, wanna, they, wanna they want to expose themselves. They yeah. want attention to so so can they can build their own political career. But mm-hmm. I don't want my wife, yeah. who's the who's the victim, to become a freaking pawn for someone else's political career future. So that's so wrong, you know. Yeah. So even though they're not staying it, yeah. Look, man, I've been around for for a while now. I can feel it. So we don't mm-hmm. want option one. So we want with option two. It's a BS excuse, but that's. That was the excuse they they they, they given to us that the bail reform overwhelmed the system so much that they don't have enough time and staff to deal with this additional paperwork. So yeah, they, they basically blame their their unprofessionalism on this freaking bail reform, and and basically they expect us to go through a criminal court when my wife is not even a criminal. So they expect us to go through the court system to let the judge recognize that she wasn't part of a fight, but she was a victim. But, you know, that there there's also, we're chasing the A-ball. We don't know where the system's going to come. Who knows, you know? So they, you put me into this whole crazy mess. So around all this time, I also messaged Assemblyman Ron Kim at the time. I was still on a little bit better term with him. I had some history with him in the past, including supporting him, voting for him in the past. I know that he's he's very gung-ho about like defund police and reform the police. So I even reached out to him about this issue. He didn't get back to me, man, until like three, four months later. But he didn't help at all. He just said, oh, I'm sorry, the cops were, were moron and cops are paid not to think, okay, but cops are paid to protect. I'm like, I, I'm... A, I don't know what to respond back to him because this guy is all about humanity, mm-hmm. uh, police reform. So now, you know, one of your local local voters and a friend, you know, who have this problem and, and his wife is the victim and being yeah. unfairly arrested. It's not even her fault. You're just going to say this is the protocol and you expect us to go through all the trouble? Yeah, that's exactly what they did. They brushed us on the side. Yeah, Ron Kim wasn't going to help so we proceed with this whole, uh, uh, basically, we're trying to find a lawyer because, you know, the, this is not our fault. We, we didn't, we didn't, she didn't go out in the morning to look for trouble. She went out in the morning dropping off my kids and she has work to do. And trouble came to us from this crazy lady. Now, now, not only do we have to look for like a, like a civil rights attorney, 
man, we got to find a criminal attorney to defend my wife in criminal court because she also got the same assault charge as the lady who assaulted her. Meanwhile, my wife didn't do anything, right? So, so we were sent to an uh, Asian American Defense and Education Fund, and um, they're supposed to have a lot of lawyers there to give us help. And we expect pro bono lawyer. You know, we don't want to pay for this. Right. You know, we want. We, we hope also we hope you know someone can jump in and really set example for this case and address bigger issues because because. When she got attacked, you know, this is the beginning of all these COVID-19 related aging attacks. So it's still not a widespread thing, but it's there. So this this is a case where you can really talk about something big. But instead, you know, we she went through miscommunication, misunderstanding. She's talking on the phone, trying to explain her situation to ADRF. But the lady on the phone complain that she can't understand my wife. My wife's also complaining about her accent. My wife's born here, and that lady, I think she has a Chinese accent. Mm-hmm. So they couldn't communicate each other. So mm-hmm. they ended up getting upset, you know, getting upset. So my wife get the feeling that they don't want to take her case because mm-hmm. because they kept on telling her that they don't have this type of lawyer. They don't have this type of lawyer. So my wife's like, what kind of lawyer do you have there, right? So finally, my wife got the email address for the director of the operation. So she emailed him, and I think it took him a while to email her back. And then they kind of went back and forth. So basically, we were told, you know, they cannot handle this type of case. They can handle like a, like a civil uh, litigation or civil rights attorney, right? But they don't know how to handle criminal uh, cases or criminal cross-civil cases. So we basically got referred back to Flushing, to the Ming Kwang Center. Minkwang Center is one of the community centers in Flushing that that, mm-hmm. that that supports the community. Mm-hmm. Local leaderships often like to join with Minkwang Center to do a lot of activities. But Minkwang Center was busy on, on uh, I think at the time, Ron Kim was running for re-election. Mm-hmm. So Minkwang Center was being pulled to do his campaign work. So oh. nobody wanted help. So nobody wanted help us. So, so, so. We got no response back. So now we realize that we cannot even get a pro bono lawyer to help our case. So now we're going to have to pay our own. So Chamber of Commerce still want to do option one, doing a whole rally. We don't want to do that. So they basically found a bar recommended lawyer who's a defense attorney. It's the white lady. Mm-hmm. My wife reached out, left messages, no returns. So we finally got recommended a, a lawyer, which we have to pay. Right. The, the, the money, the, the retainer fee is not that high. It's pretty reasonable. We're okay with that. But still, you know, we, we never asked for troubles, man. We, we got, she got wrongfully arrested. Mm-hmm. Now we have to pay. Doesn't matter $50 or, or $700. Right. Doesn't right. matter, man. You know, this is not, this is not our fault. Right. We, we don't deserve this. So long story short, you got a lawyer. So, so we got a lawyer. So we got a lawyer through the bar. And, and but you know from day one we we had feelings about her because you know she doesn't want to address the hate crime uh, in this case she doesn't want to address racism she doesn't want to talk about race how this how this yeah, whole, racially whole motivated yeah r- racial motivated you know they don't want to talk about it so so she's basically hoping that that the judge would drop the case was this a pro bono attorney no, this wasn't pro bono. This oh, is someone you had to we pay paid for her. Really? Wow. Yeah, we couldn't find. We couldn't. Yo, we couldn't find a pro bono. Mm-hmm. 
Because mm-hmm. we thinking, you know, I'm thinking, I, I have so many people. I know so many people in my network. Mm-hmm. You know, this is really big. I see I see a lot of people out there talking. They're going to do this and do that. Right. But finally, this something happened to me. I'm looking for someone who can find justice. I can't find nobody want to do a free job for us. I mean, I don't expect people to do free work, but I have seen this happen. But I'm in here now. Now I can't get it. So on top, yo, I speak English. She speaks English. We know all the access. Yet we felt like we're like complete new immigrants who can't even speak English. We have to rely on people to help out. Meanwhile, no help come through. So we, we ended up have to pay for our own own attorney. Meanwhile, this attorney doesn't want to address hate. Doesn't want to doesn't want to get on the doesn't want to get into offense mode. So mm-hmm. she just hoped that the judge would drop the case, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, long story short, COVID nineteen uh, lockdown. So so we were faced with a lot of court delays. We went to the first court appearance. Right, we learned that. The other side thinks she's right, so they want to proceed with this court instead of dropping on the first day. Uh, we learned that the other side thinks they are right; they have a case, so they want to continue with this criminal trial, right? So we actually spoke to w- witness, like crossing guard. I got mm-hmm. witness statements. I got mm-hmm. all the evidence, mm-hmm. and h- waiting for the second court date. Meanwhile, the second court date never came because lockdown. Right. Court closure. Hmm. So we waited for a year. Wow. Finally, we learned that that the Queen's DA, uh, Melinda Katz, dropped this case. They they gave us they called this an ACD. Uh, basically, they they basically see this as two parents fighting and they have no record. So just let them go off, you know, and shake your hand and and record 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 white. So they thought that they 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 did us a favor, right? Meanwhile, to us. Man, we pay for this, hoping to get some justice, right. right? I mean, look, I don't expect the other side to pay us millions because there there were millions dollars worth of damage, right? Mm-hmm. But we expect to find justice for us and also to pay a justice for the bigger cause, right? Mm-hmm. So, so after the criminal case was dropped, so we basically are told if you want to pursue this further, you can then hire a civil. Uh, an attorney who will help you do a civil litigation, right? So, you know, that's also a big question mark, you know? Are we going to pay for the civil litigation? Are you, or are they going to take one-third if there's money involved on the other side? You know, people who never been to a, uh, a lawsuit before often say, yo, just sue that person, easy, sue the, yeah, sue the motherfucker, sue him, right? It's not that easy, man, right. to sue someone. It's right. tremendous amount of money, time, and, and time, also a lot of times, tempo. Yeah, so so that's why you know that's after all this this this, this happened. Look, people ask me, do you still want to do you still want to pursue? I said, well, I know there's a statute of limitation for this type of cases, so there there's still time for us to pursue this. But but it's still COVID nineteen, it's still the pandemic. Mm-hmm. I got so many things on my own plate. So who 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 is going to have the time, energy, and the money to to go through all this? So mm-hmm. it's a lot of time, you know, that I also realized it's not just, 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 just being Asian, being Chinese, being quiet. So I want to just suck it up and forget about it. It's, it's, it's the reality sucks that, that I have to suck it up and forget about it because we are being put into this situation and we're not, be, we're not being helped yet. We have to put extra efforts to help ourselves, right? So it's, it, it, it's so, it's so unfair.
That's why I wrote the article. I want to show the world that the, another perspective that we we have full access. We know where to look for. We don't have language barriers, right? We have people connection. Yet we're still screwed at the end, and we're still screwed at the end. Mm-hmm. I want to show the people that that you know, yeah, you know, you, we could fight back, right? But but what if the table the table gets turned? You know. You can also get sucked into a scenario like this, but yeah. that don't mean that you you shouldn't fight back and think that you're gonna get arrested for fighting back. You just gotta be aware that you know a lot of time, you know the type of justice we seek, the system isn't backing us up, you know. But that's the reality, right? So I, I wrote this up at want to present this, but not to show as a dead end story that I know where to go. I just want to show you know in the reality. There, there are there are this type of situations and unfortunately you know in the end we just feel like we can't do nothing about it except to let it go so the best thing for me to do is talk about my story to let let people know so we can find improvements on a situation like this so another person in the future won't have to go through what we what we went through steve what's your opinion on what peter's wife went through i think um they were definitely um, biased in it situation. Uh, we were we are trained to look at defensive wounds and offensive wounds, and um, to interview both parties correctly and interview witnesses at the scene. And I felt like they skipped a lot of that process where they were probably rushing the job and they were just like, "All right, we're just going to arrest everybody." You know. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of a lot of it is also blaming. Um, the low morale of police officers now where they're like, I don't want to get in trouble. So to cover my bases, to cover my ass, I'm going to arrest everyone and let the judge, ha- let the courts handle it and let the courts sort it out. Um, but <clears throat> I feel like uh, that's, you know, not doing your job correctly. That's like the shortcut half-ass way it is definitely done incorrectly. And I felt like they could have done a better job. If they would have done their full investigation in their job, their prior job properly, they would have seen that um, the other person cut their hand from hitting her in the head. <laughs> That's not a, a wound um, caused by Peter's wife. So how are you going right, to charge and somebody? And also the discrepancy, like how, the, <laughs> the injury that his wife received right. versus the other party, yeah. Right, exactly. So it's like, you know, how did you cut How did you cut your hand? Like, how did Peter's wife cut her hand? She didn't have a blade or anything. Your hand doesn't get cut if somebody you hits you. Yeah, assailant. Well, like, like, so you had to, I'm pretty sure the person cut their own hand when they took herself when she had her cell phone and used her cell phone or whatever to hit Peter's wife in the head mm-hmm. and that's you know an offensive wound right and so that sh- that shouldn't be charged on Peter's wife Steve um uh, in part one of the um our interview um, that we already shared, the part one of this conversation, you were talking about um, block watch programs. Uh, when you talked about the block watch programs, you mentioned a term like a COP program. What is the COP program? The COP program is a program with the NYPD where they allow the community to have their own type of public safety or um, police force, quote unquote, with that works with um, NYPD, kind of like the, the Jewish have um, the, not Hatzola, uh, Sharim. Sharim is the Jewish police, right, mm-hmm. in the community. 
um, the Muslims have the the Muslim patrol, um, and in Sunset Park they have uh, a COP, which is like the Asian patrol. So COP stands for Citizens on Patrol. Yes. And so how is this different from police? Like, what kind of tactics do they use? So let's say they see someone who maybe they're kind of harassing people or causing some kind of disturbance or something. What do the COP, the Citizens of Patrol, what can they do? And what are some of the tactics that they would use? Well, they're more of a civilian, like a block watch type of thing, but they're working with the local precinct. So they see something, you know, they'll keep eyes on the person. They have radios, they contact each other. Um, they'll handle most of like maybe like the, I would say, community outreach part of it. Whereas like if it's not really a crime, they'll, you know, um, facilitate like be like a middle person to work things out or whatever, stuff like that. There's something that the community could call if they don't trust the police officers or if they can't talk to police officers, they could call them and they'll facilitate also a, a conversation between the two. I think it's something that we, we could use now in this time in Flushing because there's a lot of distrust between the community and police officers and stuff like that. So um, they will feel more comfortable talking to somebody like from their own community and it will help a lot with building the community relationship with police officers again because they could be the bridge. Mm -hmm. So do the people who are working in this block watch receive any kind of training on what kind of tactics they can use for conflict resolution? Yeah, Yeah, so when when you're in this program, whoever joins that program uh, comes to the police academy and they do a civilian policing type of training. I know, I know, I know. Some some people were confusing Black Watch with what Guardian Angel does. So I just want to find out, you know, if Guardian Angel is considered a COP. No, Guardian Angel is not considered COP. What's the difference? Guardian Angels, I believe, is a uh, their own um, organization where uh, it's just citizens going on patrol. So they're more of a vigilante group than a Black Watch. Uh, <laughs> They, they originally, they were originally like stigmatized as a vigilante group. Yeah. So the Guardian Angels are not affiliated with the NYPD. Then is that the difference? And they don't, they're not trained. They don't receive any training. They don't. The they NY- don't get trained by the yeah. NYPD. They yeah. get. They actually train yeah. themselves. I'm wondering if you could talk about the block patrol groups in Flushing. Um, you mentioned two of them: the Main Street Patrol and the PSP. Um, what do they do? How do they keep the neighborhood safe? Yeah, so there's Main Street Patrol, which are a group of younger adults. And they basically patrol around and they're more of a covert operation. So meaning like they don't wear reflective vests or like, you know, anything that stands out. But they walk around together and, you know, they if they see something, they, well, first, first they report to the precinct and they get a name of who they notified at the precinct, at the World of Nine precinct, to let them know that, you know, they're out there. And then they walk around, and they have dif- um, they have different groups, patrol groups, and they walk different routes. And if they see something, they, they notify each other, and then, you know, they keep an eye on the person, and then if something happens, they help document it, mm-hmm. right? So they're more like plain clothes. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> um, then you have the PSP. And PSP are older adults. Um, they wear reflective vests. 
they stand out. And I also think they're doing it with the Guardian Angels. Interesting. Um, yeah. So they have radios. They got, you know, reflective vests and stuff like that. And they walk around in a bigger group. And they just patrol around flushing. Um, when it's raining, they, they drive around you know, in cars and stuff like that. And they do, um, I think, seven days a week. Um, the Main Street Patrol, I think they only do weekends for now, Main Street Patrol. Oh, okay. Yeah. But the Main Street Patrol ones are more, um, like, also, like, young activists, too. Mm-hmm. You know, they're doing rallies and stuff like that, too. So, I think they have their rally at May 1st, mm-hmm. their first one. Right. They're going to be giving out food to, uh, you know, to the elders and stuff like that. Oh, it's good to know. What are some tactics that everyday people can use if they're out and about and they come across someone who's being antagonistic? What what would you recommend that they do? Okay, so if you're walking around, if you're just walking around and you see something, um, I recommend the five Ds. The five Ds is deter, detect, delay, deny, and defend. Um, it's the five Ds of self-defense. And, you know, it's basically... I would say first, you know, um, deter. You don't want you, you don't want to stand out as a victim, right? So, like you know, keep your pocketbook always like to the front. Um, if you're a guy, never put your you know don't put your iPhone in your back pocket sticking out, or don't put your wallet sticking out in your back pocket, um, or you know anywhere else where it's showing is hanging out, mm-hmm. right? Um, I will keep everything like, you know, your pocket or your wallets and stuff like that in the front. Um, always keep it zipped up and closed. Um, always have like, you know, one hand holding onto it. Right. Cause if young kids out there, what I seen is like, they like to follow people to the bank and, you know, watch them with your money. And then, mm-hmm. you know, they follow them down a side street and then they run by and they try to bump them and grab the purse mm-hmm. and run away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, just be aware of your surroundings. If you're gonna, um, you know, be walking around, with, you know, large amounts of money, just um, don't think that other people don't know. Um, people do know. If you see something, detect. Right. If you see something, you wanna, you wanna make sure that you're not like dazed out in your phone. Right. Mm-hmm. Walking down the street, and some people just like always on their phone. They just head down and just walking while they're on mm-hmm. their phone and. They don't really see, and you know, th- their surroundings, and that's not good either. So, that's part of the tech. Mm-hmm. Um, delay. So, like, if somebody's in a confrontation with you, you want to stall them as much as possible, right? So, um, if somebody's like aggressive towards you and cursing at you, you know, keep your distance and just get loud. You know, like, mm-hmm. let people hear you, let people see you, let people hear you, mm-hmm. make yourself noticeable. Delay, and then, you know, hopefully somebody will step in and help you, mm-hmm. right? Um, don't confront them unless, you know, you feel like you could handle the situation. But most of the time, you know, if we're by ourselves and stuff like that. That's the reason why they pick on us, right? Mm-hmm. Because they see that they could take you on. So that's why, you know, they confront you and stuff. And I would delay the situation and, like, you know, make a scene, um, get loud and hopefully other people will stop and they'll help right mm-hmm. you should learn some kind of self-defense um, there's a lot of free online courses now because of COVID there's a lot mm-hmm. of free online courses like you know you can YouTube it also mm-hmm. simple moves um, how to block 
how to um, get out of a hold, like mm. a chokehold, or somebody's grabbing you, how to get out of that hold and stuff like that. Mm. Um, and here's the thing with self-defense, right? A lot of people are saying, oh, if I carry a taser or I carry a mace and stuff like that, um, can I use it? Is it self-defense? Right, or I have one of those tactical flashlights, or I have a tactical pen, or stuff like that. If I, you know, stab them, or if I have a pocket knife, I stab them, or whatever, <laughs> what will happen, right? right. Now, here, here's the thing with self defense self defense is only good for if they attack you and then you get them off of you, and that person, you know, and you have a chance to run away, then you're expected to run away. You're not expected to um, get this person on the floor and start, you know, <laughs> trying to knock this guy out and stuff like that, or hold this guy and stuff like that. That that's, that becomes that no longer becomes self defense. Now you become the aggressor, and then you know you could get in trouble too for it. Mm, interesting. So what I suggest is, if you're in a situation where you're by yourself, you want to push that person back. If you if you have to fight, right, learn some kind of self defense, carry something, push that person back. And then when you push that person back, just turn around, run away, and call 911, mm. right? Or run to a store or something, mm-hmm. right? Because Flushing has a lot of stores around. So, you know, you, you could just go inside a store and just ask for help inside a store or something like that. Hopefully, they'll help you. In these days and times, I, I, would, I would think there's a lot more people helping people out there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Asians are pissed off to be constantly bullied and you know they're starting to stand up against the police so hopefully to help you right. that's about it yeah yeah those are very practical tips yeah. um it seems like the common thing is not to get isolated and to let other people know what's going on in some right. way or and form. also like if you're walking around shopping and stuff you don't want to be um like if if you end up on a side street somewhere you don't want to be going down these side streets where it's not a lot of people you want to mm-hmm. just stay in the crowd you know stay around stay around a lot of people in public areas and just just stay there you know but be around your surroundings be be aware of your surroundings when you go down like these private streets right yeah you know? also um i'll put i'll put out more videos on how self defend yourself and um things to do if, you know on my facebook and on my instagram and my twitter and stuff you know Oh, okay. If you want to share some with me, I can put them on the website for this episode. Um, you can okay. email that to me later. Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, and can we talk about um, the the issues or problems in getting Asian hate crimes reported? Um, I mean, part of it is maybe there's not a good way to report it. Part of it is maybe the public doesn't trust the police. Um, there may be some other issues like language barriers. If people actually get any justice when they report, what do you think are some of the problems in getting hate crimes reported? Um, I've been a police officer for 16 years, right? Everything I say here is me talking as a private citizen. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and no way, shape, and form am I speaking for the department, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but from my experience, a lot of the the reports um, are not taken seriously by the police officers or taken incorrectly because the um, language barrier and because of the, the number system. But they don't want to take a uh, a serious crime, and that's because of Comstat, and they have to report it to the federal government and um, they don't want to 
make it seem like um, crime is up. So let me let me explain how promotion works, right? Mm-hmm. So if you are the new commanding officer of, let's say, one hundred nine precinct, um, you're expected to bring the crime rate crime rate down, bring arrests up, and bring summonses up, and you know you go to this that meeting, and this way they can't grill you on um, why is crime up in your area? Why, you know, what are you doing about it? Are you arresting people? Are you giving out summonses? Are you, you know, stopping people and stuff like that? Mm-hmm. Right? Um, so when they get a lot of grand larcenies, which is mostly like pocketbooks being stolen and stuff mm-hmm. like that, um, for some reason, a lot of business owners like to go to the bank and take out like fifty thousand mm-hmm. dollars in cash and have in their fancy bag, and mm-hmm. they end up getting a snatch, mm-hmm. or they leave it on the back of their chair when they go into the food court and they go get food, oh, and they come and they come back and the purse mm-hmm. is gone. Um, but a lot of that stuff is grand larceny, mm-hmm. and I've seen a lot of cops take the report as lost property instead. Because grand larceny is one of the major crimes that we have to report to the federal government, right? And mm-hmm. one of the major crimes that we track. So a lot of times it's like that already, it's being taken incorrectly. So now if you're trying to get hate crime taken, they're definitely going to not take the thing because it's a big hot topic right now, right? If hate crime is up in your precinct, then they feel like you, you don't have control of your precinct and therefore you can't get promoted, right? Mm. So... I would think that it would be harder to get the hate crime taken down. Um, how can you get it properly taken down? I would call the um, attorney general office or the DA's office or, um, you know, call somebody that you know who's a police officer and have them take the report for you. Mm. You know, um, I'll be more than happy to help people, you know, file a report if they want to reach out to me. You know, no problem. And, you know, that's, it's supposed to be a hotline, right? But I have lost trust in how officers treat our Asian community. Mm. Okay. Thank you for that. Yeah. Um, if people want to do something to stop hate crime, you know, because a lot of people are probably feeling frustrated because, you know, we see the rise in Asian hate crimes um, and people just want to do something. What would you suggest that they could do? Use their platform. Get the word out there. You know, the the, re- the reason why I feel how we got to this stage is because the traditional Asian mentality where we were taught to keep our head down, not to make uh, a fuss, not to make any noise. A lot of people, um, when I was a police officer, taking reports on like elderly people and stuff like that, their, their thing was oh, if you can't solve it now, right? Like, I don't want no problems. You know, I don't want this person to come looking for me. I, I don't want, you know, further problems. If I do make a report, you know, so forth and so on. We have to stop that mentality. We have to be strong. We have to, you know, be heard. We have to stand up and say something. You know, all the other communities, the, the Jewish community, the black and brown communities, when they, when they don't get what they want, they come out and they speak up about it they they make a big fuss about it they you know um they rally they protest and that's what we need to do we need to stand up protest rally register to vote we have to vote we have to get involved in politics we have to you know vote the right people in that will help um, you can also you... volunteer too sorry yes. you can also volunteer too you know 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, volunteer at some of these organizations that are doing work for the community, participate yep. in a rally. Yeah. Yep. Um, and you just keep in mind, if, you, if you're not a type of person that um, is physical, you know, like where you, you feel like you have some kind of physical skill to like fight these people or whatever, because you you're going to have, there's a chance that you can get into a fight, right? If you're not, if you're type, not the type of person that to fight and stuff, you can also volunteer to just, you know, help maintain the website or, you know, do the communications part, like the radio and stuff like that, or, you know, help people plan stuff, you know? So there's a lot of stuff you could do. You don't have to be walking around on patrol. Right. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. Um, and you did mention that you're fighting for police reform. Can you talk a little bit about that and your thoughts on how you'd reform the NYPD? I know that could be a huge conversation. In fact, I'd like to have you back on to talk about that, but I wanted yeah, to touch on it. <laughs> That's a very, very long conversation. Um, but briefly, so in 2014, I got promoted to the rank of sergeant. I got transferred to the 109 precinct. My lieutenant at the time wanted to put fake rape charges on my commanding officer. I felt that was wrong. I told my commanding officer. My commanding officer asked me to go undercover try to get down recording. And then I found out that these Asian officers was a, a Korean lieutenant, Chinese detective and several other um, cops they were hurting our community hmm. they were poisoning our community by extorting them hmm. and you know um, helping criminals such as human traffickers um, drug dealers uh, prostitution the illegal karaoke's gambling houses and stuff like that they were actually robbing the gambling houses wow yeah. So, you know, it, it was a lot of stuff they were doing. And I I wanted to um, not only arrest the lieutenant and detective, the NYPD gave me a hard time at first. And then, you know, I just got so much evidence that they could, couldn't ignore it no more. But they kept it to only those two officers. Hmm. And it was so many other people. Most of it wasn't Asian. Most of them were black, white, hmm. you know, and these white bosses were chiefs and stuff like that and captains, right? And um, they didn't want to go after them because, you know, they were, they would lose too much face mm. if, they, if they arrested everybody because then it would have been like a big... Um, scandal? Yeah, like a big scandal, right? So instead, they wanted to save face and make it like an isolated incident and say it was just this lieutenant and this detective when really it was a whole ring of people, right? Mm. And in different neighborhoods too, like 8th Avenue will have their own problems in Brooklyn. And that's just like the 7-2 precinct. They will have their own problems. And then you had 5th precinct had their own problems. And then you have 109 that had their own problems. But it was not just Asian precincts. It was every precinct, every neighborhood had their own thing going on um and i told them we need to you know go after the head and they were like no 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 don't worry about it and i told them well if you don't go after the head you're not gonna send a message and they're just gonna replace them with some of the cops because they have Mm. you know the power to do that and they they don't want to do it so my my thing was you know i decided to fight back because they started retaliating against me because I didn't want to drop it. And they started to, you know, go after me and kept on like bullying me at work and like harassing me at work and so forth and so on. And um, trying to give me disciplinary issues and stuff and so forth. And I put in a lawsuit 
and I'm fighting them in, in law and court. And um, I also ran for state assembly because I wanted to run for a higher position where, you know, I could go and join the law enforcement committee or public safety committee and then create uh, an entity that is public, um, have transparency and accountability, you know, where these public community people could join this board and they would police the police. Because mm. you can't pol- you can't trust the police to police the- themselves, right? right? It's, it's conflict of interest. It's mm-hmm. very clear conflict of interest. You don't have gangs ga- um, policing themselves, right? Right. <laughs> doesn't make any sense. You don't have companies, you know, policing Auditing themselves. themselves. <laughs> right, exactly. So why would you have the NYPD policing themselves? That makes no sense, right? And so that's why I want to create a public entity and, you know, have them um, monitor and hold accountable these, you know, police officers. Great. Well, yeah. thanks for sharing that. Um, we definitely would like to have you back on to talk about your fight against uh, police corruption and um, yeah, being a whistleblower and all that. And I think there's a lot to talk about there. Yeah. Um, is there anything else you'd like to share um, in terms of what you've been dealing with or seeing with Asian hate crimes, especially in the last year? Yeah, so I've been out there since coronavirus began. And, um, you know, I've been seeing it evolve to what it is now. I've been attending Black Lives Matter protests, Asians for Black Lives Matter protests, and, you know, Stop Asian Hate, They Can't Burn Us All, all these protests I've been going to. And, you know, to what it is today, I see that we're starting to bridge the community between the minorities. I understand a lot of people are going to say, oh, you know, but most of the attacks are from the black and brown community. Um, Yeah, it's true. But the bottom line of it is that situation was created by the system, right? The system is corrupt to the point where, you know, um, we're pitted against each other, right? The Asian community, black and brown community, all the minority communities are pitted against each other. And, keeps us separated and that's how you know uh, certain people keep their power right so if we unite i think that you know we will no longer be the minority and we will be the majority and we will have you know much more better um, community that makes any sense so when you say the attacks are coming from the black and brown community meaning that the attacks on asians and asian americans is actually coming from black and brown community committing uh hate on asians right and also the white community like white community is also attacking us too but Mm -hmm. how the media um always highlights black and browns attacking us that's not you know all facts you know it's Mm -hmm. not you know you got to you got to understand that all this started with well, we always been targeted, but it escalated when Trump, you know, started calling us Chinese virus and stuff like that, mm-hmm. you know, and that just made it even more escalated the situation. Mm-hmm. And most of the black and brown communities, they, they love us, you know, but they're put in situations and they're like, you know, um, they're put in situations where they target us because they see us weak, right? like the mm-hmm. sick Asian person. Mm-hmm. And we need to change that. We need to educate all the communities on our culture and stuff like that and let them know what we're about. 
And, you know, if we educate them on who we are and our traditions and our culture and stuff like that, I think they'll start to accept us more and they wouldn't attack us as much, you know, and then that will unite and bridge the communities more. And if we bridge the communities, then we will no longer be the minority and we could fight together against the system. Right, because it's not just about Asian hate crimes, but maybe we should be thinking about hate crimes in general. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Well, thank you so much to both of you for being on Talking Taiwan and sharing your stories, experiences, and thoughts on Asian hate. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Bye. Have a good night. I've been speaking with Peter Yang Zhao and Stephen Lee about the topic of Asian hate. To learn more about any of the items mentioned in this episode, visit our website, TalkingTaiwan.com. There will list any related links. May is Tourette Awareness Month. So join me next week for my interview with Peter, who will be talking about Tourette syndrome and what he's been through as a Touretter or a person with Tourette syndrome. Talking Taiwan has been publishing new episodes on a weekly basis for a year now, since the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic. The pandemic gave us an opportunity to relaunch the podcast and to commit to a weekly publishing schedule. Our work is made possible by the generous donations of our supporters and listeners. Help us to continue producing engaging content by supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Talking Taiwan. There we are offering our supporters invitations to a quarterly AMA or Ask Me Anything session with me, the host of Talking Taiwan, advanced notification of future guests, a Talking Taiwan tote bag, and other mystery gifts. If you enjoyed this episode of Talking Taiwan, subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. Tell a friend about us or help others discover Talking Taiwan by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. Thank you for listening to another episode of Talking Taiwan. I'm your host, Felicia Lin. Talking Taiwan is brought to you by Forumosa.com.